Hey, good evening, good morning, or good afternoon, Three Circle Church family. My name is Hunter Bennett, and I am the preteen director at our Fair Hope campus. And whenever you're choosing to tune in with us, I'm super excited that you guys are here. Uh, for all four of our campuses, I'm excited to be here with you. For our Philippians series, I have the pleasure of going over Philippians chapter 4, uh, going verse by verse through 1 through 7. Uh, and we're going to walk through God's Word today, and I believe it's going to be an incredible time of teaching where we get to learn more about God's wisdom today. So if you do have your Bibles open, uh, I want you to go ahead and get that open to Philippians 4, 1 through 7. And if you've got your mobile devices, you guys can go ahead and open those as well. And if you're listening to us on the road, I, I want to go ahead and invite you to open and keep your hands on the wheel and to keep your eyes on the road. Listening will work just great with us. Uh, whenever you guys are tuning in. And so go ahead and get your scriptures open. I even tell our preteens before uh, we ever talk about God's word and even before we do God's word, it's first most important to read God's word. So that's exactly what we're going to be doing here today. And while you're opening up uh, your device or your Bible, I want to go ahead and give you guys just a quick story that's going to hopefully help set up what we're going to understand today from God's word. Uh, so uh, my name is Hunter, but uh, my favorite pastime is probably fishing. Fishing is something that I love to do. Even this past 4th of July, uh, I had the opportunity to go visit my family and we were fishing and I'm from the Clearwater, Tampa area. Uh, and we just love to fish. That's all we ever did. My parents tell me that I was fishing as early as two. My dad would put me in the wagon. Uh, he would have a fishing pole, you know, attached to it that I would have. And he'd wheel me down to the beach and we'd fish until I got cranky and started crying or something like that. And we would head back to the house. But I remember distinctly uh, when I was around five or six uh, that I was sitting down in front of my TV watching an infomercial for some reason. I loved watching infomercials. And there was an advertisement for this thing called the Rhino Rod. And this was the ultimate like fish catching machine. This is the exact thing that I knew that I wanted for Christmas. And so I asked Santa Claus for a fishing rod, a rhino rod, so that I could use it at our family fishing tournament that we held every 4th of July. And so uh, lo and behold, December 25th came and uh, I had a rhino rod right next to the tree that Santa had given me. So I was super excited to have this thing. And I knew that when we had our family vacation, my grandparents had a lake house in uh, sort of the middle of Florida, Ocala. We had a, a lake house there. It was wonderful for fishing. And so I wanted to use that brand new infomercial rod to go fishing with, uh, with my dad. So uh, we went there 4th of July and we would have this Bennett fishing tournament. All the Bennetts would get out in their boats and we'd go to a select spot and we'd start fishing to see who could bring in the biggest fish. And so I was at that age where I could hook my own, you know, line up and cast it and reel it back in. I was fishing with an artificial worm and my, my prized rhino rod. And so my dad had us in a cove. Uh, it was either early morning or um, it was late in the afternoon, evening, where the day had kind of cooled off. And I threw my line out. I was fishing with a June bug worm and uh, I dropped it into a little bit of pocket inside of some reeds. And to my surprise, there was a great weight at the end of my line. It's like something had just like taken it and dropped a cinder block on it. I mean, it got really, really heavy. And I had only caught fish that were maybe a pound or two in size. And so this felt like I was hung on the weeds or something like that. But Low, I, I, it was a huge fish. It was a 10 pound 
fish at the end of my line, and I had no clue what to do. My only rational thought at the time was to give my rod to my dad, because I knew if he could get a hold of this thing, we were going to land the fish, we were going to get it in the net, and everybody could see what we had caught, and we were going to win the fishing tournament. And so I tried to give the rod to my dad, and I'll never forget what he did. He didn't take the rod. What he did instead is he encouraged me, and he also instructed me. He encouraged me that I could actually reel in the rod, or reel in the fish, even though it was something bigger than I had ever caught before, and he instructed me on how to hold it properly, how to reel and when to reel, and to my surprise, we got it to the boat, and uh, we named him Bob, and Bob is now sitting in my house, in my room in Clearwater. Uh, part of the reason why it's still at my parents' house is because my wife won't let me hang it up in our house right now. But I'll never forget that my dad didn't take the rod from me. He instructed me and encouraged me how to land the fish. And I think that's exactly what we're going to be reading about in Philippians chapter 4, where God encourages us and he also instructs us, and particularly about God's word. So many times when people think about scripture, they think it's there, you know, as a do and don't book, that it's something that's there to demean, something that's there to slander, to make us feel like we've done something wrong. When I would say our overarching theme for what we're going to read today is I want us to understand that the Bible can never be discouraging. The Bible can only be instructional and encouraging. That's what it's there to do, and that's what it's there to provide. So we're going to start reading in verse 1, and we're going to see where Scripture is instructional and encouraging. Starting in verse 1 of Philippians chapter 4, starting verse 1, this is what it says. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Now, Paul is writing this letter, and if you've listened to previous broadcasts, you understand that Paul is in prison. And that he's writing to a church that he helped plant in Philippi, the region of Philippi. And he's writing to encourage the church there. They're not a bad church and they're not a good church, but they're a relatively new church. And they need some encouragement. And I want to stop right at the very first word. It's therefore. And this is really just a study tip when you're studying God's word. That when you see the word therefore, it has great meaning. When you see, therefore, what it's actually wanting you to do is to go back to the chapter in the verses previous, because what it said in the previous chapters is actually going to lay the foundation for what we're going to read today. So if you were able to go back and watch Jack's teaching last week, he talked about, you know, the kingdom of heaven and being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and living with heaven mindset, living with a heavenly mindset that you'd be focused on the things of God. And so with that, knowing what we learned last week and what the scriptures had taught us last week, therefore, my brothers, knowing what we had just read, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. What does it mean to stand firm in the Lord? You may be thinking that's kind of weird. It's a weird wording, and we're going to go ahead and break it down. Standing firm in the Lord. The original Greek wording used here was to describe a soldier standing post. You would imagine somebody standing on a wall or a border with maybe a rifle across his back or a sword in hand. And you would think to yourself, well, this doesn't have, you know, any relevance in my life. I'm probably not going to be defending the side of a country. If you are, we're very thankful for you. But many of us who are listening here today probably aren't going to have to be in that kind of situation. 
but I do believe that has spiritual relevance for us. That there are battles of a spiritual nature that we're fighting every single day. So when Paul was telling the Christians at Philippi to stand firm in the Lord, he was literally telling them to stand your ground. What is the ground that we're needing to stand firm on? I think when a soldier is standing at his post, they're really asked to do three things. The very first thing is that they need to stay awake. They're probably standing at their post, you know, multiple hours. They're having to, you know, watch a certain area that it's designated for them to watch. And they're not going to be sitting back in a chair. They're not going to be lazy playing on their Game Boy Advance. They're not going to be doing any of that kind of stuff. They're going to be attentive to what their job entails, what they need to be awake for. They're going to be needing to keep guard. The second thing is that they need to keep watch. It's not just so much so that you're there as a presence. You're there to keep watch over things, to look at the area you're supposed to be watching, noticing irregularities, something that's not supposed to be there, looking for the things that are supposed to be there. But if anything seems suspicious, you're there to keep watch. You're there to keep watch over what you're protecting. And the third and final thing here is if something is irregular and somebody is attacking, you need to give a warning. You need to be able to raise an alarm so that it's just not you fighting the battle, but others who are like you, other people who will fight with you, are there to help you. And why would Paul be so intentional to describe this as a soldier standing post? I believe it's because we are fighting spiritual battles, but he wants to warn us about the spiritual warfare. He wants to make sure that we are warned about some of the things that the church in Philippi is going through. And I believe that some of the stuff that they're going through has great relevance for us today. I think that he warns against false teachers. We have false teachers here today who are saying things that, you know, are contrary to what Scripture teaches. But also in the Old and New Testament, there are false teachers who are saying things contradictory to what Jesus had talked about. Maybe he's warning against stuff that we shouldn't be doing and how we're acting in our behavior I know that uh, when I talk to my preteens, I'm always saying, hey, this is how we should be acting as Christians. And I believe that it's especially important for us as adults. Maybe it's, we're putting together Ikea furniture and we're not acting the way that we're supposed to be acting. Or when our dog doesn't utilize the backyard to go to the bathroom and we get exceedingly frustrated about the things and how we're acting and the things that happen to us. And then I also think he warns us about ch church disunity. Church disunity, and he's not necessarily talking about the church at Philippi, although he does name a specific instance, and we'll see that coming up here in the verses here in a little bit. But I think he's warning against church disunity as a whole, that our church needs to be unified in life struggles, that it can't be segregated, it can't be torn apart, that we should come together. And I think we find this in the next couple of verses, verse 2 and 3. And I want to go ahead and talk about verses 2 and 3 before we read them. The church in Philippi is going through a little bit uh, of, of a difficult time. There are two ladies, two pivotal leaders inside of the church who are going through a struggle. They're, they're not seeing eye to eye. And uh, they're going through a difficult time, and it's even more of a difficult time trying to pronounce their names. So let's go ahead and read this and figure out what's going on. So it says this. This is Paul still talking. He says, I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche. To agree in the Lord, yet I ask also, true companion, help these women who have labored by my side with me in the gospel together 
with Clement and with the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. What's going on here is we've got Paul who is writing this letter to an entire church and he is calling out two people specifically, two leaders, and he's throwing down the spiritual gauntlet saying that this is something that cannot happen. We know that these people aren't leaders, these two ladies, because we can learn from what scripture says and how it names them specifically, but also church scholars from additional resources are able to sort of speculate that these may have been two of the ladies who helped Paul actually plant the church of Philippi uh, back in his missionary journeys. And so these are people who he probably knows and that are not doing the right thing. Now, what does this have to do with us today? We have many decisions that we're needing to make as a church. And these are good decisions to wrestle through. But the moment that these decisions cause friction between church members, and that gets prioritized over the mission of what the church is supposed to do, that's not something that scripture calls us to have happen. Scripture calls us not to have these issues divide us. These issues should unite the church so that we can actually be the church. We shouldn't be dividing into fractions. We shouldn't be split on our decisions because when we're split, we're so much weaker than what we can be together. So Paul is calling that we should unite the church and it's for this reason, this is our second point. Division in the church will never grow the church, only the gospel will. We need to be gospel-centered. We need to be scripture-centered. We need to understand that we are better together because we need to be the church for those around us. We need to face trials so we can help others face them together. Now, we've already talked about how we need to stand firm in the Lord. We know that we're supposed to be united in our struggle together. But now I've got you know, these problems. I don't know when schools are going to reopen. I don't know. I've just lost my job and I, I am just, I am at my wit's end. I don't know what is going to happen. What am I supposed to do next? If you're a fan of Frozen 2, you're just looking for the right next thing, okay? So I want you to look at what scripture says about what to do next. It's in verse four. It says, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Here's another study tip for what you need to look for in the Bible. When you're reading God's word, I believe that there's some details that we cannot miss. And when scripture says, you know, something twice, I think it's supposed to draw our attention. And it says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It's named it twice. I think that this is extremely intentional. Why? Because Paul knows when you get aggravated, the least the least thing that I think of, the last thing that I want to do is to rejoice. Again, when I'm trying to put together furniture and I'm struggling, I really don't want to thank God for the ability to have furniture. Like when my AC went out a couple months ago, I was just extremely frustrated and I didn't think about rejoicing for the fact that I had AC that was able to be broken. I didn't rejoice for that. But I should actually be rejoicing and giving thanks to God because of the things that I have. I should be rejoicing in everything that I do so that others around me will know that this is reasonable, that I can rejoice to God in the midst of suffering. This brings up one of my favorite verses inside of scripture is James 1, 2, and it says, Consider it joy, my brothers, when you go through trials 
and tribulations of many kinds. And it goes on to say you must let endurance do its complete work so that you should be lacking in nothing. We should be joyous in the midst of circumstances that are difficult. But I also think it, it doesn't stop there. That scripture doesn't stop there. We should rejoice, yes, in the midst of trouble. But I think we should also rejoice in midst of greatness, in the midst of plenty. See, God just isn't there for us when we're at our worst. He's also there with us in our best. And for the Christian, I would say that God let us taste just a little bit of goodness because of the glory that he has bestowed upon us. That we should give thanks not just in our hardship, but that we should also rejoice in, our, in, in times that are great and times that are good. So we should always remember, here's our third point, always remember in the midst of hard times to simply rejoice and to rejoice in the good times as well. So we know that we're supposed to stand firm. We know that we're supposed to be united in our cause and that we are always supposed to rejoice. And this is where we're going to land our plane. So I want you guys to lean into this last portion of what we're going to read scripture. I want you guys to lean into this. And this is where we're going to see that the Bible is not discouraging, but that it's encouraging and it's instructional. This is what it says in verses six and seven. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what does that mean? Give all your anxiousness and all your anxiety over to God and with prayer and supplication, make your requests known to him. We're going to stop right there. We're going to dissect it. And to help you understand this, I'm going to tell a real quick story. So uh, I heard a story of a pastor who was, you know, trying to start a, a new church and he was sending people out on mission. And uh, he sent this missionary, a short-term missionary journey over to a very poor area of Africa, to a very rural tribe. And he had stayed there for about a week and uh, the missionary journey was on his, or the missionary was on his way back uh, to give a report of what he saw and how we could help this village. And uh, before he left, he gathered uh, the village together and he asked, you know, how can I pray for you? What do you guys need? <clears throat> and, the, and the village kind of looked at him puzzled and said, you know, we're, we're really good. And the missionary is going, I see your poverty. I see your struggle. How, how can you say that you're good? And they respond with, well, we pray to God for everything that we have and he takes care of us. We pray for the water that we drink. We pray for the food that we eat and he takes care of us. And, and the village responds to the missionary, how can we pray for you? And when you're home, you have everything you do, you have everything that you have because you have done it yourself. Not because God has given to you, but you think that you've done it because of how great you are. How can I pray for you that you're not worried about what you have to do next? How can I pray for you to rely on God? And the missionary was stunned. He realized that the village had got it right, that we need to pray to God for everything that we have. You may turn on the TV right now and watch the news and see that the world is unraveling, that everybody is, is at their wits end and that we don't know where to turn. And the good news is that scripture has an answer for us. And the good news is that we don't have to have all the answers. The answer is simply this to give it to God, to give him your anxieties and to give him your worries. 
to lay everything at his feet, to do not be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So we do that and we give our anxiousness and our worries to God and we lay it at his feet. And if you're like me, I have got to do something. I just can't let a problem be. I have to do something. And it's great to know that I can lay my anxiousness and worry at the feet of the Savior in the kingdom of the, uh, the God of the world. I know that I can do that. But what can I do? Scripture doesn't leave it there. And it says, but let your requests be made known to God through prayer. I need to pray. That's the very thing that I can do. I need to let go of my worries and anxieties and let God know through prayer so I can get a peace that surpasses all understanding. And scripture is very clear. If you let go of those things and you pray, you will receive a peace that surpasses all understanding. It won't make sense to you and it doesn't make sense to me, the peace that I receive when I let go of my worry. But it happens. And it, it is so restful, and I understand that God is in control. So this is what I want us to do as we wrap up right here. I want us, in this moment, right now, as you're listening, to just take a breath. I want you to relax, and in this moment, examine yourself. I want to examine the life that you're living right now. And say, is there anything that I am anxious about? Is there anything that I am holding on to that I think I can handle? Do I need to let go of this and give it to God? Do I need to stand firm in what he says? Do I need to be, you know, unified with my brothers and sisters? Do I need to rejoice? Do I need to let scripture encourage and instruct me on how to live? And if you do have those things inside of your life, I pray that you give those things to God right now because I know that I can't bear it and I know that you probably can't either. We are weak in comparison to God, but he can handle each and every one of our struggles and he will give us a peace that surpasses all understanding. What I'm gonna do for us is we're gonna pray here in a moment and I pray that you would receive these words from, from God this morning and that you would continue to listen uh, through our whole entire Philippians midweek broadcast. And I look forward to seeing you guys very soon. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for today, God. We thank you that you are great, that you are able to give us these words through, through your holy word, that we would leave here today and that we would give over our worry, that we would give over uh, what's troubling us, Father, that we would rejoice when we need to rejoice, that we would look to you for guidance in every single situation, that you would be our Savior and that we would listen as your people. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you guys so much.